come together and worship the Lord. How are you guys today? Awake? Ready to lose an hour next week? No. No? (laughs) Well, thank you all for being here today. As we can gather before our Lord and Savior, we can worship him and we can open up his spoken out word. And his word to humanity. But by this we can we can know who God is. We can know that he is indeed spoken. And we can understand what he calls humanity to do. To repent and to believe upon the only begotten Son, the unique one sent, that all should believe in him. You know, as we've been going through John, you know, we've gone through the last four chapters now, and that's it's been really good. And I thought, you know, hey, let's let's just take a break for a little bit. You know, but as we've seen him more and more, we see that he is the Messiah. He has come to tell us all things, as he told the woman at the well. He has come to indeed show that he is the Savior of the world. And we need that truth. You know, that truth can, can hold us in anything we're going through. And we need to hold on to it. Because we are living in strange times. And me and a, a pastor friend, like, what, what do we call these times? Uh, uncertain, ever-changing. Let's go with strange. So that's what we've called it. Now, these ever-changing times, a time when <coughs> division seems to be everywhere, a time where even our nation seems to be a few steps away from even greater divisions than past ones. So the question, the question is, how do we go forward? You know, that's, that's the question of the age right now, you know, because we are all in this together. And there is strength in unity. But those little taglines only seem to gloss over the fly and the oatmeal. Something is needed to bridge the divide. More than a slogan, more than a political party. There are some really good you know, political debaters, social commentators, that are definitely you know, leading the charge on those issues in their realm. But what about the church? What are we to do? How are we to go forward in these divided times? And what do we stand for? As our culture, as our nation, as our world seems to be more and more about rejecting the truth, rejecting the law, rejecting the light, rejecting even governance and God. It made me think about the last part of chapter 1 in Romans, where Paul says this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manners of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. Yes. I think I got that one, Miss Marsh. 
They are gossips, slanders, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, and though they know God's righteous decrees, decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Now, all of that took place in the first century and is taking place now. Well, what do we do? The church needs to proclaim truth. The truth that sets all men free indeed because they have been set free by the Son of Man. The Son of Man come to redeem us, to be the ransom for many in our broken estate. The church needs to exposit, needs to breathe out this truth that all, all have fallen short of the glory of God, all have sinned. And we also need to breathe this out, that the wage of sin is death. A judgment is coming to all. Wrath is real. But there is everlasting life found where? You can say it. Jesus. Right? The answer is Jesus. And we need to know this message. And we need to share it. Because the church needs to be the light in the darkness. It needs to be the salt to the world. Jesus speaks of this in Matthew. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. As the salt to the world, we need to bring taste to life. We need to bring out the flavor we bring people the question, hey, is this all that there is? Or hey, have you heard about a man that has died for you and me? Or you can go with the really hard one. Hey, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Mm-hmm. That's the, you know, the prime, Shah, hit him. But you can start small too. And we shine by our deeds, we shine by our love. We shine by fixing on the true light who has come and we point not to ourselves but to God who has come in the flesh to show us the unseen one, to show us God and to grant us grace by his cross. The church needs to stand for and stand upon moral law, God-given law or what used to be called natural law. It is given by God. We need to throw away the slippery slope of relativism. 
And we need to stand for justice and mercy and walk humbly with our God. We need to honor our government. And we also, as a church, need to call the government to understand that it is only in its place because it is an agent of the Almighty. It is not the Almighty. It cannot think it is. No government's place has been given to it by God. No, we are to follow authority because it all originates with God. All authority is delegated authority. And we follow the law of the land. Paul says in Timothy to live peaceable and quiet lives. So what can happen? That the name of Jesus would go forward. So why do we do all of this? And this is the summarization and capitalization of what our faith is. Why do we do all of that? As we said in Sunday school, it's the commands of Jesus, right? And the commands of Jesus, our, our king calls us forward. He sets us apart. He sets us apart. He gives us a mission to go forward and as citizens of heaven, we are to be about the upward call in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3.14. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So to do this in today's divided world, we need a refuge. We need a fortress. And that's the Lord alone. We need to understand that, yes, the times are changing, but we are set apart. God is holy and in heaven, and we are set apart to go. And we need to stand up and apart from the culture. Well, let's start in a word of prayer. Now, Father God, we thank you for today. Thank you that we can come and sing to you. We can come and open up your word. And we thank you. Thank you so much for your grace given, for the mission, the mandate before us to go forward for the gospel that can save all men because there is no other name under heaven by which men might be saved other than the name Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name, that you would help us, move us, Lord, equip us, encourage us today, pierce us through with your word. And we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, that you turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 46. It's kind of my go-to psalm when things are rough or you just start at chapter 1 and keep on reading. But the psalms are life lived. You know, it's, it's really good medicine for any time, any emotion that, you know, we're struggling with, with anger, with, you know, where do we take our hope and stay? You know, the questions of the day are, where is our home? And where, where do we feel at home? Who do we, who do we trust? And where, where do you find your rest? Well, the psalmist says this, and we'll just read the whole 11 verses. The psalmist states this, that God is a refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, 
We will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Shalah. Stop and think about that. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Shalom. Stop and think about that. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Shelah, stop and think about that. And what is our refuge? Is it our power, our strength? Is it our hobbies, our home, or our family? Because the truth is, is that none of those last. Even good things are lost and even good things come to an end. But God is forever. God is everlasting. So we understand and seek to agree with the psalmist. God is our refuge and strength. <clears throat> we trust our lives and our very livelihoods to him. For he isn't just our refuge. No, he is our very present help in troubled times. He is the one that you can always reach out to. He is here 24-7 with grace and mercy, ready to be applied in our times of need. So we stand. We stand right here on this, that God is our refuge and strength, our, our present help in our time of need. So we don't fear, come what may. If everything comes apart, if the world breaks in two, or if even our personal world falls apart, we're holding on to what is eternal, what is everlasting. And therefore we have a hope. So we can look and we can see a river that makes glad the city of God, the dwelling place of the Almighty will not be moved. For God is her help. You know, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but Zion stands forever. The Lord speaks and the earth gives way. The Lord is with those who take refuge in him. He is their fortress. Let us look and behold him, behold his wonder. For he brings desolation upon the earth. He is the end of all wars and even the weapons of war. The Lord calls out to all to know this, to be 
still. To be still. And to know this, to understand this, to have knowledge here that he will be exalted. There is no one above him. He's God. Period. There's no one greater than him. He is the Lord. He is exalted above all. So let us take heart and take refuge in him. For the Lord is with us. You know, in doing that, in, in taking refuge in the Lord, in being still and knowing that he is above all, we find hope and strength in the Lord God. And we are set apart by him and given mission. Please turn in your Bibles with me to Isaiah chapter 6. But as I was thinking about a person's world that was turned upside down, Isaiah came to mind. But as you, you turn to chapter 6, I want you to think upon maybe a great leader, a great leader that you look up to, who did great things, great things even maybe for the Lord, or maybe he was just a, or he or she was a good leader. But at the end, it didn't go well. I can think of pastors, apologists, presidents, kings, leaders who led greatly, but at the end, it all came apart. They, they messed up, they missed the mark. Well, King Uzziah was such a leader. You can uh, read this in 2 Chronicles chapter 26, but you don't have to turn there right now. But in chapter 26, we read this. King Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned for 52 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Jehalalim of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that his father's his father Mahaz had done. And he set himself to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of God. As long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Now, this is a great start. It's a, it's a king of Judea that fears the Lord, that wants to do what's right in the eyes of God. At the end of his rule, trouble comes. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense at the altar of incense. But Azariah, the priest who went in after him, with 80 priests of the Lord, who were men of valor, and they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you have done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priests and in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. Nazariah and the chief priest and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on, in his forehead, and they rushed him out quickly 
And he himself hurried out to go because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death. And being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, Jotham excuse me, his son was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. So it was with pride that led to Uzziah's downfall. He did what was wrong in the sight of the Lord and paid the penalty. When the year of King Uzziah's death, this happened to Isaiah. I want to read verses 1 through 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. Two he covered him with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal and he, that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. On the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah saw this. The Lord was seated upon his throne. This is true right here, that no matter what is going on, even in the changing times, even in the challenging times, the Lord is in control. The Lord rules and reigns from heaven. We can see who he is. He is the sovereign one. He is worthy of all worship. And he is high and left, lifted up and he is totally set apart. And this is what the angels around him sing as they cover their eyes and cover their feet. For he is holy. They sing about his holiness. This is the Lord of hosts. He is holy, holy, holy. And all the world is full of his glory. I feel like that is greatly lost within our culture and even our churches today because you know, nothing is set apart. And we see God as our, as our homeboy, right? Jesus is my homeboy. I reference that shirt a lot. Um, but you know, that's, that's what we reference. That's, you know, we see that God is only a God of love. He loves you. He wants to bless you. But we must not miss the truth of this. That God, yes, most definitely is our high priest. He sympathizes with us. He is there with us in our struggles. 
And yes, he is the God that has died upon the cross. But to do what, as the song said? To satisfy the very wrath of God. So if our lives are hidden in him, we are not a part of that judgment anymore. Now, he calls us out of sin and into holiness. He is the Savior who has died upon a cross. And he is the Savior that calls us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow him through life. But it is in losing our lives that we find it. We find that abundant, blessed life because it's no longer about me or the I or the iPhone or the selfie, right? The snap chat, right? No, it's about him. It's about pointing to him, about being about him. Now, the church is called to be set apart. Peter says it like this in his first letter. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. But we can't do that on ourselves, right? Right? <laughs> you know, we cannot. It starts when we meet the Lord. We need the Lord as we see him, as Isaiah saw him. We are cut in two. Because even right here with Isaiah, it shows that seeing the Lord in all of his glory is a confrontation or a confirmation of how sinful he was. His lips, his words, his mouth immediately come to mind. The event points to one of the problems of the ages, both personally and culturally. We, we justify sin. We have all thought, heard, or even said, well, at least I'm not like those people, and I don't do this or that over there. I feel like that's been said throughout all of history, right? You know, little Romans, oh, yeah, I don't do that. You know, to Americans, yeah, I, I don't do that. Yeah. You know, it's a means to justify one's sins. And as long as it's not that sin over there, it's not that heinous thing over there. No, Isaiah was ruined. He knew how sinful he was. He had been found out. But then grace is seen. An angel, one of those seraphim that's praising God, stops what he's doing, picks up a coal from the altar, and touches Isaiah's lips. And says, your sins have been taken away. They have been atoned for. It symbolizes that that sin is no longer over him. No, he has been justified. Not by reckoning within himself that I'm okay because I'm not like them, but I'm okay because the Lord has cleared me. He is my propitiation. He has atoned for me. And it is with this freedom that Isaiah immediately hears what the Lord is asking. Whom shall we send? And he says, I will. It transformed him. This, this immediately changed Isaiah, made him new and ready to go forward in the mission. As we have met God, as we have seen his saving hand, as we have seen that he has atoned 
for our sin, we see that he calls us to serve. He calls us to walk. He calls us to live a life out for and by him. Don't miss that, that by him part. The sanctification is by grace alone as well as justification. So much of our world is about defining people upon what they are against. We even see people defining themselves like that now. I am against this or that. I stand against this. Is that how you would like to be defined? Anybody? I don't, I don't like it. <laughs> well, imagine it like this. You're on a date. It's going well. You know, everything, your conversation is actually good. It's not awkward. But then the drop of the bomb comes. Well, what are you against? You see how that changes the, the whole mood of the conversation? <coughs> It pits you against that person immediately, right? What's the issue? What's this? What's that? You know, sometimes I feel like it's a little Geiger counter of how they find the, the radioactive material. It's like, hey, where's your zeal at? What gets you out of bed in the morning to make you dislike others? It's like, yeah, that, you know, how do we, why do we think like that? Yes, we need to know what we're against, but we surely need to know what we are for, what we stand for. It ruined the date, first off, right? You know? You know, it's totally meant to do this. That frame of thinking is meant to pit everyone against everybody else, is to pit people against people. You know, the church needs to know what we stand for, needs to be willing to clearly communicate to the other side that this is what we are about. Well, please turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, you know, we really hear what Paul is saying to the church, what we should be about, what we should stand against, stand for, and stand against. Let's see what Paul says, starting with verse 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering, and a sacrifice to God. And we are to be imitators. We are to speak truth. We are to show grace. We are to study the Lord and to know him more and more because he is our prime example. He is our father as children. We are to learn from our heavenly father. And then we are to do this. We are to walk in love which is an ongoing thing, right? That we have not arrived. No, there's always room for growth and learning this side of glory. We are to love as Christ loves us. We see that Christ is the suffering servant, the humble king come 
to die for us. And we are to have the same mind, as Paul says in Philippians 2. We are to know that he has come to speak truth and deal with the reality of sin, suffering, evil, and death upon the cross. And the church is to do that as well. We are to be about dying to self, denying ourselves, and following him. We are to offer ourselves up to him to live a life transformed by the very renewal of our mind. And Paul goes on in Philippians, or sorry, Ephesians 5, 3 through 5, saying this, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are you which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this that everyone who is sexual immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. We are to stand against this, we are to fight against sexual sin. We are to not have it named among us, Paul says. We should not about, be about foolish talk or filth, filthiness talk. No, we should be about thanksgiving, right? Yay, turkey. No, we're supposed to be thankful for what God has given us every single day. We are to be about the renewal of our minds here and now. We are to warn people that if they live a life of sin, there is no inheritance for them in the kingdom of Christ. We're to call to everyone to repent and believe upon the Lord Jesus. Paul says this going on in verses 6 through 10. And let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God has come upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And we are to watch out for deception. We are to watch out for empty words. We are to know that judgment is coming. That wrath is a very real thing. <clears throat> so we are not to partner with the world because we have been taken out of that kingdom. We have been the darkness in us has been replaced with light. So as the Lord, we are called as in the Lord, we are called to be as children of that light. We are to walk in our day to day. We are to be about this, discerning what is pleasing to God. And Paul goes on in verses 11 through 16 to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when every, anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. 
Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, and not as unwise, but wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Now Paul says here, we are to not take part of the works of darkness. No, we are to expose them. You know, we cannot tell people that this or that sin, this or that is okay. No, it will lead to death and hell and the eternal matters are on the line here in our world today. So we have to say, no, this is not true. This is wrong. This is a lie. This is a false teaching. This is exposing false gospels and false religions for what they are. And the secret things are exposed in the light, Paul says. So we watch even ourselves. We are to watch ourselves and be wise, not unwise. We are to be careful and to make the best use of our times for the days are evil. And lastly, Paul says this in 17 through 21. Therefore, do not be foolish. But understand what the will of the Lord is. <clears throat> and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the, with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making a melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. We are not to walk as fools. We are to understand what the will of the Lord is and be about walking in that, discerning that day to day and to see what is pleasing. And how do we do that? Well, we are filled not with wine. No, we're filled with the Spirit. It is, as we talked about, it is enabled by God. Our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification is by God. So in this, in, in the spiritual life, in the walking in the Spirit, and not sapping that, we are to sing to one another. We are singing to the Lord with our hearts. That as we sing the words, whether they're up on the screen or in the book, we are to sing what we mean. We are to mean what we say. Sorry. <laughs> we are to mean what we say. And that we would know it, that we would believe it, and that we would sing it. Always giving thanks to God. And then submitting to one another in reverence to Christ Jesus. And in that, that we would stay humble and teachable throughout life and that we would see that the Lord is a fortress and that we can take refuge in him no matter what is going on that we would see that he has set us apart he has called us in Christ Jesus and we can see that he has called to us to live out our lives for him and by him today now this means that we can, we can trust the Lord as the stronghold of our life. 
Because what is a fortress? Type it in, definition. It's a permanent structure. It ain't going anywhere. They're still all over Europe. But the Lord is not going anywhere. Those fortresses decay. But he's not going anywhere. He is permanent. We can learn from Isaiah's case to deal plainly with our sin. But to also know that the Lord God has atoned for it upon the cross. And in that he calls people to know him. To believe in him and to serve him. And from Ephesians we know that we can live that life out. Whether it's here in Simla to anywhere. To Africa, to Asia, to the North Americas. That we can live it out. A life by him and for him in the grace of God. To learn about our Father, to learn from our Father, and to be about his will. So today, how do we apply this? You know, we see the, the ever-changing times. We see the challenges of our day today. Well, do we see them as something too big or too small for God? How do we perceive our challenges? Because they're not. They're not too big and they're not too small for him. He cares. He is that great high priest. He is that fortress that we can take refuge in, that we can dwell with the Almighty and deal with the day-to-day. -day. We can find our strength and help in him and we can deal with our sin, not to justify it, but to be ruined before God and to know who we are, a sinner in need of grace that has been found in Christ. We can know that he alone has atoned for it. And then we can go and serve him. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, we can live our lives for him. We can use our gifts. You know, even if you're nervous public speaking, you can do that. <laughs> you can lead a committee. You can lead a Sunday school. You can be a good student at school. You can grow up. You can be about taking care of your family, cooking, doing laundry. <laughs> you know, it can be working a job and being faithful. And it's not just about giving money, but about giving our lives to God. That no matter what place we find ourselves in the structure that is the cogs of life or whatever we want to call that, that we would be about the cause of Christ wherever he has us. You know, that we would be not about ourselves, but about him, so that those who would be watching would see that it is, in fact, all about the gospel for us. It is all about our king's mission and king's mandate. That as we grow up or go out as we work, as we live our lives, that it's not pointing to the me or the I, but it's pointing to him, the one who has come to atone for all sin. And Let's close in a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that you are high and lifted up. You are upon your throne, and you are permanent. 
You're the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Never changing. That we would hope in you always. That we would be still and know that you are God. And that you will be exalted above all things. That we would take our refuge in you. That we would deal plainly with our sin. And know that it is atoned for. And know that you have called us forward. Into a field of brokenness. A field of division. I guess a, a place that we can live life for you and by you. For your glory. To go forward for the mission. That you call all of us to come to the cross to believe upon you and entrust our lives to you Lord we thank you so much for today we thank you for your word Lord I pray that from here everyone would be encouraged for the week ahead that we would be strengthened and pierced through by your word Lord we just uh, thank you for today in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.